All right, and welcome to it once again. John Scholes here hosting alongside partner Sam Firu to Market LLP. John Pincus is all over this uh, today. You have questions, you know, call, ask, send emails. You can do that as well, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Uh, anytime you want to reach out to John and his amazing crew, when we're not doing the show, one 855 There's also a website that is free, constructed just for you some time ago. Tons of information on there. Of course, anonymous, I mentioned free, also wrapped up into this website would be the severance pay calculator. That is a handy tool as well for figuring out exactly what your severance would be. If it ever comes a time where you need to know, right, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But we'll get going on the show, John, today. I know we're going to talk about everything you need to know about medical leaves. Uh, we'll get to that, but you got a couple things to go over first with the uh, the week that was, brother. What's going on? For sure. Well, there's a lot going on. And as we know, uh, there's a lot going on with people being let go for uh, vaccination status and vaccination policies. Still a lot of people on layoff have been on layoff for going on about 20 months now. So if anyone you know or you're in that situation, please give us a call. Uh, We'd love to talk to you or any other workplace issue, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a few uh, situations that may be interesting and may be relatable to some of our listeners. Um, The first situation is a gentleman who was employed uh, for with a company for about 20 years as a technician and recently he had to take a medical leave of absence due to some severe stress and anxiety he was having at work so he got a doctor's note sent it to the company and off he went on leave sure. and the company encouraged him to apply for disability benefits so he said yeah that's a good idea i'll apply for them but he was denied uh, so he applied to sickness employment insurance and sent an updated letter uh, from his doctor to his employer. And he also let the company know, hey, you know, it turns out uh, I was not eligible for disability benefits. Thanks for uh, for the suggestion, but I still need to be off. So I'll give you an update in a few weeks when I'm having my next assessment. Well, this was not acceptable to the company because they said, well, wait a minute, if you're not a- eligible for disability benefits, you yeah. must not be sick. So we'll see you back Monday. Now, now he's <sighs> panicking, of course. He sends an updated doctor's note uh, explaining it's not safe for his uh, health to be working at this time due to his psychological state. Uh, and the company responds with saying, no, that's, that's not a real illness. Come back on Monday or we'll basically consider you to have quit. And that's the point that he came to me. And I told him, at the end of the day, you should never be asked to choose between your health and your job. The truth is, I can't stop your employer from firing you. I can't stop your employer from taking this position. But if you listen to your doctor, the law will not punish you for that. So he decided to take his doctor's advice, pleaded with the company to allow him to stay on. And sure enough, Monday came and he received a letter stating the company considered him to have abandoned his employment. Of course, he has not abandoned his employment as far as the law is concerned, because even assuming that he was validly denied disability benefits, which as we know from the disability law show is often not the case, even leaving that aside, there is a big difference between being eligible for a medical leave and being eligible for disability benefits. And this employer is going to owe him a significant amount of severance, as much as $150,000. And they're, yeah, well, this, this person was there for a long time uh, and they haven't paid him anything. Uh, and they're liable for human rights breaches. You know, this to me, John, is just emblematic of the unfortunate stigma that still is out there around mental illness in the workplace. Uh, and the law simply has no 
sympathy uh, for a company that behaves like this. So any employers who are listening, uh, please don't do this. Uh, if your employers are sub- if your employees are submitting a doctor's note, you can ask questions. You can get particulars about how to accommodate them, when their next assessment is, how long they expect to be back. Yes, yeah. it's a cooperative process and uh, it's a two-way street, but you need to cooperate with them. Don't antagonize them. It's not going to turn out well. We know you got another matter you want to discuss, John. Always top priority, but uh, so are the phone calls. Even more top, if that makes sense. Peter, thank you for calling in. How are you? Not too bad, sir. Great. What's on your mind? Well, I've been laid off uh, since March, April of uh, 2020. And uh, just wondering, uh, um, I'm only a part-timer a couple of days a week. But I've been doing that for about eight years, hmm. and uh, I haven't heard one thing from the employer of uh, uh, getting back to work. Uh, I know that uh, the job I was doing was was cancelled, but uh, that's it. I'm, I'm laid off, and I don't know if they'll resume uh, what I was doing. Well, it sounds like this may be a point in time where you may want to consider getting your severance, uh, particularly if it doesn't look like they're going to be calling you back. I I assume this is a non-unionized position you're working in? That's correct. Right. So you're going to have rights to severance here. I would recommend that you give us a call uh, because, you know, we can't get you your job back. But if you've been laid off for this period of time and you haven't found a new job in the interim, then you could be entitled to severance. Now, you still get entitled to severance even if you're a part-timer. The severance, of course, is based on your part-time income, but you don't lose rights to severance just because you work part-time. So I'd recommend you give us a call as, uh, as soon as you can, and we'll, we'll get you set up with a lawyer and so that we can pursue your severance here. It should be a pretty straightforward matter. Okay. What, uh, what's the number to call? I'm going to give it to you uh, right now, Peter. That number would be 1-855-821-5900. Again, 1-855-821-5900. And uh, email us, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Not not an uncommon story coming from Peter, right? No, no. I'm really glad that Peter called. And I I hope that other people are listening to that because this is a really, really important issue right now. I know that we've been really preoccupied with uh, the vaccine mandates and all that discussion. Of course, that's that's a big issue, too. Uh, But we shouldn't lose sight of the fact uh, that there are a lot of people out there who have been on layoff for a well, while. I mean, let's be honest, it's coming up to two years, two years uh, in limbo. And uh, for those people, you know, they should know you have rights. Um, and if you need to, if you want to pursue your severance, if you want to say, you know what, I just want my severance package so I can move on, the, the time to give us a call is now so we can help you do that. Again, you want to reach out to John anytime. The number I just gave, 1-855-821-5900, help at employmentlawyer.ca. What's the, uh, what's the next matter you want to talk about, pal, before we, uh, before we move on? Right. So, John, the second situation I want to talk about is a data analyst who was in his late 60s uh, and had been working for a company for um, about eight years, actually, coincidentally. Um, so he'd been working as a data analyst all his life, uh, and so his skills had become a little dated. Uh, and that, in fact, is why he was laid off by his last company because they just they didn't have any use for him anymore. Uh, and back in 2013, uh, he was grateful that he was able to find this job that that he's, he was at uh, most recently, where he could put his skill set to good use. 
Unfortunately, that only lasted so long because about eight months ago, he was told that he was going to be placed in a different department because they were shutting down his his uh, current department. Now, this was very worrisome for him because he was going to have to learn entirely new skills, and it was a completely different way of operating than he had done uh, for the last 30 years. I'm not going to pretend to understand exactly why, but you know, he basically said this is just a completely different skill set, a completely different way of operating. So mm. he came to me at the time and he actually wanted to bring a case for constructive dismissal. But at that time, to me, it, it, it was premature. Now, it turned out his duties were going to be the same. Uh, he wasn't going to lose any responsibilities. There was no humiliation or demotion here. Uh, so instead, he sent them an email expressing his concerns, emphasizing that he was going to need uh, retraining. And this, to me, was the right move. Uh, so sure, they said, yeah, it'll all be fine. Okay. Well, of course, John, the reason I'm telling you this story is because, as I'm sure you've guessed, no, it, it wasn't fine. That's right. uh, he, was, he was getting performance warning after performance warning, not getting enough training, and eventually they just fired him and took the position that they had just cause. And while it's unfortunate that he lost his job, of course, he's in a much better position than if he had alleged constructive dismissal when he had changed departments. Because now the company's going to have to prove that they acted reasonably and gave him a chance to succeed. And that's going to be a major uphill battle for them. It's going to be their responsibility to prove that. I don't think they're going to do, they're going to make it or come even close. Uh, and so they're going to owe him significant severance. And you know, the re one of the reasons I tell the story is not just because, of course, if you're ever terminated for just cause, you want to speak with an employment lawyer that's very very important because you may very well be entitled to severance but it's also to, sh to show how important it is to speak with an employment lawyer before you leave your job and claim constructive dismissal because I have a lot of people who come to me after the fact and sometimes I have to tell them look the case just isn't there and I think you resigned prematurely and I hate being in that position you know if you imagine if this person had claimed constructive dismissal when they changed his department that would have been a completely different story it very well could have been a resignation so before you yeah. make any decisions in your job always speak to an employment lawyer first couple minutes here before we got to take a uh, first initial break. In the meantime, you want to reach out to John. You could do so. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And uh, there's also one 855 right. Everything you need to know about medical leaves. Let's get to a couple of these before we break. Number one, how long? And this kind of goes back to your week that was. How long can somebody be away from work for medical reasons? Well, it absolutely goes right back to the week that was, and, and that's why I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this today. Mm. Um, a lot of people um, have a, misconceptions about this. Some people think it's the three days under the uh, Employment Standards Act. Uh, some people think it's the uh, two-year period under uh, most disability plans that uh, uh, disability uh, expires. Uh, there's no set length of time uh, that someone's allowed uh, to be away. Uh, it is a case-by-case -case situation. Your disability benefits may continue for many years. Uh, they may not, but that's a separate issue. You have the Human Rights Code that protects disability, and disability is defined very broadly. And like I was talking about this morning, that includes psychological disability. Um, despite the stigma that there still is, unfortunately, around psychological illness, the good news is the law 
does recognize that. They recognize psychological illness. They recognize uh, uh, mental illness, and that's that's a big issue right now. There's a lot of anxiety. Uh, people, you know, slowly coming out of the pandemic, and it's been a traumatic experience for many people. So, if you are feeling sick, if you've spoken to your doctor, your psychologist, what 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 have you, and it's just not safe for your health to uh, keep working, listen to what they have to say. Get a note and communicate with your employer. Communication, and, and this is going to be, I'm sure, a common theme today, John, that communication yeah. and communication in writing and frequently, that's the key here. That's the key to protect yourself. We're going to take a short break and right back into lots more. The website pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is super handy and free for you to use anytime. Plus, employmentlawyer.ca, the firm website. There's a media banner at the top. You can drop down and check out some of our long-running TV shows of this nature as well. And uh, you do that at your leisure, reaching out for, uh, through the phone line anytime for John and his crew, 1-855-821-5900. More Employment Law Show is on the way. Stick around. And welcome back. And uh, John Pinkus, partner, Sam Firu, Tamarkin LLP, has taken all of your questions here uh, today on the show. So uh, so bring them on. You can contact the most positively reviewed employment law firm in Canada anytime by going to employmentlawyer.ca. And the phone number, one 855 821 right, going to keep going on this in the meantime, John. And that is everything you need to know about medical leaves. Very topical subject. Has been for about uh, oh, a year and a half with the pandemic. Continues to be. And looks like it will be for the next little while for sure. Uh, number two, does an employer actually? You know what? Let me go back to number one for a second. We talk about uh, how long someone could be away for uh, for medical reasons, and I think there is some confusion uh, between how long somebody can be away and how many sick days they have. Because sometimes the employer or the employee will wrongfully think, "Well, I have ten sick days a year. I've used them all up, so I guess my uh, my sick leave is over." I'm sure you've heard that before. I have heard that before, and the confusion here is that a company doesn't actually have an obligation to provide paid sick days. And usually when we're talking about sick days, we're talking about paid sick days. So an employer does have to let you stay home from work if you're if you're suffering uh, from a medical issue, uh, but they don't necessarily have to pay you for it. That may be the responsibility of your disability provider if you're eligible. Otherwise, your only recourse may be to apply for sickness benefits in the employment insurance program but your employer may provide you with contractual sick days saying, well, you can be sick for these many days and we will pay you. Now, if you run out of those sick days, then you don't have the ability for an employer um, to pay for your employer to pay you if you're off sick. Mm -hmm. So you may be in a situation where you don't qualify for sickness benefits, but you're not able to return to work. So that means that you may lose some pay, but you still have the right to your job. Those are very different rights. So it's important not to confuse those two things. So there you go. Let's move on to the uh, to the next one. Does an employer have the right to ask an employee for their medical information and a diagnosis? Well, no, not a diagnosis. Uh, the employer does have a right to ask the employee for their medical information. What kind of accommodations are you going to need? What, what, Which ones of your duties are you going to be able to perform when you get back? Are you going to be able to perform some of your duties now, some of your duties later? Are you going to need supports? Are you going to be need reduced hours? These are all relevant things. And if your employer is going to accommodate you, they're fair game uh, to ask your doctor. So if you get something like a functional abilities form, and many of them look very similar, then that is absolutely something something you should be cooperating with uh, as an employee. 
But there are limits to what your employer can do. And, you know, they're not going to be entitled, for example, to get all the clinical notes of your doctor, of your specialist, of your psychologist. Um, if that's uh, what they're asking for, then you do have the right to say, well, I don't really see how this is going to be uh, relevant to your ability to accommodate me when I come back. Why do you need this information? Right. So that's a fair question to ask your employer if you're in that situation, because there, there are limits here. Uh, but outside of that, you should generally be be uh, cooperative with your employer because otherwise you may be deemed to have what's called, you know, failed in your duty to cooperate. Just like they have a duty to accommodate, you have a reciprocal duty. Diagnosis, uh, prognosis is one thing. Diagnosis is something completely different, right? That's right. That's right. So generally speaking, you know, the diagnosis is really not uh, pertinent to an employer's ability to accommodate you. What we're looking at is what needs to happen when you come back and are you going to be able to come back? Does the employer have to consider perhaps a permanent replacement? And if it gets to that point, if it gets to the point where your prognosis is, well, I don't think that this patient's going to return back to work at any point, then the employer has a right at that point or may have a right at that point, I should say, to treat the employment as frustrated. Now, that means that you will be entitled to your severance, but it will be your minimum severance only. Right. But again, going back to your point, John, that is why the prognosis is relevant uh, and is very different from the diagnosis. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you mentioned that uh, as well, frustration of contracts. So what happens to an employee's job while they're on the medical leave? Do they have to regularly update their employer of their condition? Uh, if so, is there, a, is there a guideline how often they should do that? I, I usually say to my clients, uh, you know, sort of a, a ballpark uh, range of four to six weeks is a kind of a good rule of thumb in terms of updating uh, your employer. Your employer may want updates slightly more frequently. They may not need updates that frequently. So you may just want to ask your employer, hey, when, you know, um, when do you need me to update you again? Uh, another good uh, way to do it is uh, if you're going to be reassessed on a certain day, then you can tell your employer, hey, I'm going to be reassessed on this day. That's the next time I'll uh, provide you with an update, right? Just be clear and transparent about it. Uh, and if you're consistently up, uh, updating your employer, it's going to be very hard for them to say, well, we didn't know what was going on, so we didn't hold your job later. That's what you want to avoid. Uh, Sam Firu, Tamarkin LLP, that is the name of the firm John is partnered with, and uh, 1-855-821-5900 to reach out to John at the firm and help at employmentlawyer.ca. The other half of what uh, what you guys do with the firm and the robust portion just as much as the employment side is the disability side, and there's a reason why. And uh, one of this question would be a perfect example. What should somebody do if they aren't, are not approved for disability coverage, their LTD, or their claim is cut off? Yeah, so if you're not approved for disability coverage, I mean, the first thing, of course, you should do is speak to a disability lawyer, which we have many at the firm, um, and focus on getting your LTD coverage. You know, you should not be returning to work uh, against your doctor's advice because obviously that, that can have uh, very serious consequences uh, and you really should be following the advice of your doctor. If your doctor says it's not safe, listen to your doctor. Don't worry if your employer is saying, well, I don't know if we can hold your job then we may need to get one of one of us, one of, someone from the employment law team involved as well. Uh, we may even need to intervene to just sort of be proactive about it and prevent that from happening. But don't simply panic and go back to work because you, you, you think you have to. You really need to seek advice at that point, and we're, we're always here to help, you know, even on a short-notice basis. 
Yeah, it's interesting, and I know you guys do a lot of crossover in the firm between the disability and the employment side, and, you know, once someone's on disability, it could be up to two years, but eventually that's coming down the pike where they're saying, yeah, you're about to be cut off. You'll get a warning for it, but, again, you don't accept it. You have to give someone a call at your firm, and then, you know, they might ask you to appeal. Again, you don't want to do that stuff. Go down that road as well, so it's really uh, – it's really key to reach out to one of John's uh, colleagues at the firm, again, the disability side of the entire thing, to make sure that, uh, you know, you don't let this thing just fester and uh, and go nowhere for you. Uh, talking about some uh, some common things here when it comes to employment law, we're talking everything you need to know about medical leaves. What should an employee do when they are ready to, now, assuming they're not going to be off indefinitely, they're ready to return to work. First steps, what do they got to do? Right. So hopefully this is what ultimately ends up. Hopefully you end up recovering and you're in a position to be able to return to work. And if you're in a position to return to work, uh, you first want to get a note from your doctor saying, okay, uh, you know, he or she is fit to return to work and therefore, um, you know, they may need some accommodations. If you are going to need accommodations when you come back to work, be specific, right? Uh, don't have your doctor write something generic as, uh, you know, nothing against doctors. They're very busy people, but sometimes uh, they don't include as much detail as we would like. So sometimes you need to be specific with your doctor and say, I, I'd really like, uh, this, this. these are my job duties. Can we come up with a, with a somewhat detailed plan um, so that I can put that to uh, my employer? And sometimes companies are going to be unreasonable what they ask for, but at least try to put some degree of detail into those notes. What can you do? What can't you do? Are you going to need to return on a part-time basis or maybe a few days a week at first? How long is that going to last? When are you going to be up to full duties? Maybe you're going to have a reassessment where you're going to look at it. But you have to um, be upfront about the way you need to go back to work. Hopefully, you can go back to work on full duties, but many times that's not the case. And, I mean, it's this should not be a decision that you take lightly or do on your own. I mean, you definitely want to get medical approval, even if you're feeling that you could possibly go back to work uh, without restrictions or some accommodation. If your medical team, your doctor is saying, yo, I know you think you can, but you are not ready yet, you should not uh, go against your doctor's advice, right? I mean, that could hurt you in the long run, no? Yeah, absolutely. And you got to think that's really not going to help anyone. It's not going to help yeah. you. It's not going to help the company. It's not going to help the, you know, the company's customers if you're in that kind of role. If you're if you're back at work, you want to be on your game. Your employer wants you to be on your game. Uh, it doesn't make sense to have someone at work uh, who's uh, who's not fit to be there. So it really is in everyone's interest for you to include your doctor in this discussion and make sure, or or whatever medical specialist you've been working with, and make sure that that you're really ready to go back. So you are ready to go back. Now, what happens if your employer says, uh, you know what, I'm not going to allow you to return, or maybe they've replaced you in the meantime? Well, at that point, there really is nothing else to do but speak with one of uh, with a, with a lawyer to speak with uh, an employment lawyer. Um, at that point, it is an employment issue. A refusal to allow an employee to return back from work from disability is going to be a termination, and it very well could be a human rights violation as well. Uh, one of the questions is going to be, are there any positions or comparable positions available? Uh, now, that is most likely going to have an impact on the human rights aspect. Probably doesn't have as much impact on the um, 
uh, employment aspect unless as a result of your restrictions it was impossible for your return which means that you may only get your minimum severance uh, but another question is going to be whether you have any accommodation needs that would be what's called undue hardship you know are you asking for a schedule that's going to be slightly uh, reduced or are you asking the employer to you know hire on another 10 people uh, to yeah. help accommodate your duties so it's it's a pretty high standard to meet but that's an analysis that we'll walk through so the moment you get that letter that email that text message whatever it is saying can't have you back that's the time to give us a call want to get to a uh, phone call here in between our uh, talking points sean thanks for taking the time today how are you i'm good it's troy though sorry oh sorry Troy. i got sean on my uh, my call screen no worries what's uh, what's going on this morning pal okay so i worked in the hotel industry and i got injured on the job and had to have surgery and then from surgery, I needed physio. So the amount of physio WSIB said that was adequate for my particular injury was six. Well, it wasn't enough. And the physio, they said, well, we can't do anything for you, even though you're not. You can go home and continue doing this, but we can't do anything more for you because WSIB will not pay for any more of this. And so because of that, I could not work wanted me to come back to work, but I, I could not because of the injury. And so I, I quit the job. I mean, but I know that was, but it was the wrong thing to do now, but what could I have done back then if diversity wouldn't pay for any more physio? Well, Troy, my first question for you is how long ago was this? It's four years ago. Oh, four years ago. Okay. Well, so unfortunately, uh, you're, well, you're right. My wife had a similar incident at her workplace. Where right. She got injured. Her, she injured her back. Mm-hmm. To the bosses. And, mm-hmm. and she had physio. And WSB said the same thing to the physio. Like, no, you can't. Right. Anymore, right? So we, we continue to pay for it. Because the lady said, I can fix this. We can... Instead of having surgery, we can fix your back. And they did, but we paid for that, right? So I know this might be going on with other persons. So I, I'm asking this question for anybody that would be there who made the mistake I made, right? Because I give up my job as a chef because my hand is still not back. It's like, it's mm-hmm. still not, I can't bend it back to where right. it was because I could not have the amount of physio needed to, you know, and then the workplace wanted me to come back. Well, I can't, like, up to now, I still can't bend my hand and and work with it as a chef. Right. Well, Troy, there's a few issues here. Uh, The first thing is that if you're denied uh, your WSIB benefits um, and you really aren't qualified for WSIB anymore, there are still some circumstances if you have not everyone has disability benefits, of course, but there are st- still some instances if you can show you've gone through the WSIB process already where there may be some uh, validity to looking into your disability uh, benefits. The other thing is, if you're in a situation where you really cannot come back, you're employ- you're, it's just impossible for you to go back to work because of your injury, then that is a situation where your employment would be frustrated. But in Ontario, if it has become impossible for you to come back to work because of an injury, which we call frustration of contract, 
your employer will still owe you severance. It may not be very much. It's just going to be the minimum entitlement. Uh, but there is going to be some severance owed in that circumstance. But if it really is impossible for you to go back, that's that's the result. That's the result at law. So at that point, if your employer is not paying any severance uh, and you cannot come back to work, and this and this would go for your wife as well, then uh, it would still be worth contacting us so we can at least get you your minimum severance. And I, I work with employees on those issues all the time. Sean, appreciate the call. we got to run into a break, and we'll come right back with lots more. In the meantime, I want to reach out to John Pickus, partner, Sanfiru Tamarkin, LLP. Do that. The number, 1-855-821-5900, help at employmentlawyer.ca. It's the Employment Law Show right here, coming back with more. And back here, John Pickus, uh, partner, Sanfiru Tamarkin, LLP. Always taking your calls when the show is done, and uh, reach out for sure, even just for a conversation, one 821 5900 And they have helped uh, tens of thousands of people get the compensation they deserve across this country. Have a chat, get some results and some satisfaction as well. You can email John, help at employmentlawyer.ca as well. I want to get to an email before we move on to the most common employment law questions you get, John. This is from... Uh, Sydney, first up, says, hey, guys, uh, my employer has instituted a vaccine mandate and has put me on a suspension. Uh, I will be fired if I don't comply by the end of the month. What should I do? Well, John, this is a question that we are getting, as you can imagine, hundreds and hundreds of times. Um, It must be every day. I think we're getting hundreds of these questions at this point. So many people are in this situation. And and here's the first thing and the the most important thing that all employees need to know here. Um, We cannot get you your job back. So the first thing you're going to have to decide is, are you prepared to lose your job uh, over this? Many people have been employed for many years, so that's that's an important decision to make. And some people decide that ultimately um, they're going to become vaccinated because we, can, we can't get them their job back. If they decide that they're prepared to lose their job, they're prepared to pursue their severance, then when you are put on a suspension, at that point, uh, you can contact us. And unless you are in one of those industries that was mandated by some third party, typically uh, the government, uh, that employees must be unionized in order, or immunized uh, in order for them to continue um, operating, uh, then then you're going to be entitled to severance, and that's and that's something uh, you know that we're going to uh, be pursuing for you. You're going to likely be entitled to severance uh, as long as you don't fall into one of those categories. So please do get in touch with us if and when that happens. But there is a difference between a uh, federal mandate and working for a the federal government. Those are two different things, right? Like one, if you work for the federal government, yeah, you got it. If they say you got to do it, right? Yeah, if if you're working for the federal government, then and the federal government's basically enacted a law that everyone has to be uh, immunized to work in those uh, industries, then you are not going to be entitled to severance. But if you're uh, in an organization that has voluntarily uh, imposed a vaccine mandate, then you very well may be entitled uh, to severance. That is the way you handle that one. Reaching out again to John, one 821 5900 would be the way. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website you can use anytime you would like, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Okay, most common law, empl- common employment law questions. There's a, there's a ton of them, but we'll get through a, a few of these anyway in between the, uh, the calls. Number one is, I didn't do anything wrong, John. Can my employer terminate my employment? Well, if you didn't do anything wrong, your employer 
can terminate your employment. What they can't do in that instance is they can't terminate your employment for just cause. Mm -hmm. So they can terminate your employment, but they're going to have to pay you severance. Now, remember, without cause does not mean without reason. You know, a lot of people come to me and they say, oh, I think I've been wrongfully dismissed because the employer didn't have a reason to right. let me go. That's actually not a wrongful dismissal. A wrongful dismissal is an employer that has not paid you the adequate amount of severance or didn't give you adequate enough notice. Uh, so that is when you need to speak to an employment lawyer. Um, uh, well, anytime you've been let go, you really should be speaking to an employment lawyer to, to make sure that the severance package you're receiving is appropriate. But particularly for those instances where your employer has alleged you've done something wrong and uh, they're denying you severance as a result. So basically, uh, you know, to to take it down to its most simple form, if you go into work tomorrow and you get let go because you're wearing a purple shirt, completely asinine won't happen. But that's not the wrongful dismissal part. That's just the, dis the wrongful dismissal is if they don't pay you any severance or inadequate severance, correct? Right. That's right. You know, so if you come to me and say, you know, I was let go because I, you know, my employer said I looked at them the wrong way. Well, that's a terrible way to run a business, but it's not, <laughs> but it's not illegal. It's not illegal uh, to do that. They're just going to have to pay you severance. How much severance should I get as he lobs an easy one over the plate? <laughs> severancepaycalculator.com, pocket yeah. employment lawyer. These are the places to start. Uh, we're going to look at your age, your position, your years of service. Uh, maybe uh, your rate of compensation may be relevant. There's you know, there's actually no, uh, no end to these categories. Anything that's going to impact your ability uh, to find a new job may be relevant. But what are the big ones we look at? Of course, your age, your position, your length of service. If you're older, if you have a higher position, if you have a longer length of service, typically you're going to be entitled to more severance. And I know John mentioned severance pay calculator. Yeah, it's wrapped into pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, and it's it's really simple to use. It's anonymous. Take about 30 seconds to get through it and get a number out the bottom end. And uh, it's true. It's factual. It seems bloated. It seems a little uh, a little unbelievable, but it is true. That's because you're probably not familiar with your common law entitlements, which is uh, which is generally what most people think when they go through the severance pay calculator. But does it also not include for, I mean, if depends on the position, but if you're a salesperson, for instance, it would include compensation or at least uh, commissions, maybe bonuses, car allowance, all that thing. Should that all, is that all wrapped into what would be your, your severance payment? Well, that's right, John. Everything that you received as a form of compensation while you were employed um, is going to be part of your uh, severance, particularly anything that was a taxable benefit. If anything was of personal benefit to you and was given to you not as you know not as just a business expense, but actually something that you you used in your your personal life, then that's a personal benefit you've lost, and it's that loss that you're entitled to be compensated for. So we look at every. Everything. We look at your benefits. We look at your pension. We uh, pension contributions. Uh, we look at your obviously your salary, your bonuses, your commissions, your overtime. Everything. It's all relevant when we're looking at severance. Uh, it says I have to accept a severance offer by a certain date. Right at the bottom. Starting to panic here. What do I do? Well, uh, hopefully you're you're not someone who's looking at a, a termination letter that I've written uh, because I, I hate to uh, <laughs> create panic for people. But uh, th that that deadline is not uh, is is not meant to uh, to make you panic. It's because your employer wants they, they want to wrap up the deal. Now, if if it's a good offer 
And if you're planning on accepting that offer, uh, and it may very well be a good offer, then you may want to consider that deadline carefully. But if you've spoken to an employment lawyer um, and uh, or you've gone on the severance pay calculator and it seems very, very clear uh, that you uh, that you've not been offered uh, a adequate severance package, then chances are that deadline is not going to matter. The deadline that really matters uh, is the limitation period for your severance. When it comes to your severance, that that period is two years from the date you get your notice of termination. So that's the deadline that that really matters. And remember that your employer wants you to sign that release. They're typically not offering you a severance package out of generosity. I mean, if they're offering you 24 months, then hey, maybe, maybe it's out of generosity. But most employers aren't going to be offering you that. So if that's the case, uh, then you need to speak with an employment lawyer and make sure you've dotted your I's and crossed your T's. Here's how you do that. As we go to a quick break, reaching out to John and his team partners, Sam Firu to Mark and LLP. Do it. Have a conversation. 1-855-821-5900 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll continue. Employment Law Show. Hang on. Thanks for hanging in there. A few minutes to go. Let's uh, let's keep it going. John Pincus, you want to reach out to John anytime you can do so. Have a chat and uh, get smarter about your employment law rights. Help at employmentlawyer.ca, 1-855-821-5900. The website, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Going through some very common employment law questions you get, uh, if not a daily, an hourly basis, I imagine, when you're at the office, John, here's another one, um, and this this one rings true, especially over the last uh, little while with the pandemic. My employer has made a significant change or changes to my job. Can they even do that? Well, uh, it depends the kind of change. Uh, some changes are going to be within the management right. You know, for example, often an employer will uh, modify your benefits, which a benefits carrier, uh, and it may not be as advantageous to you. Uh, it may feel significant. But in the eyes of the law, uh, it's probably not going to be significant, although in in some cases it would. Uh, But of course, there's always going to be those changes that will typically be so significant that you can basically say, well, you're just not complying with uh, our implied employment agreement. So... uh, so I'm terminated, and I'm going to seek a severance package. Uh, so the the biggest and the probably the most uh, well known example is the demotion, right? The right. Uh, when you're put in when your your positions are, are, are your responsibilities are taken away from you, such that you really don't have the position that you had before. Um, significant changes in hours, significant changes in pay, uh, forced transfers, you know, all of a sudden, well, we, we know that you really like working in Toronto, but we're going to have you work in Yellowknife next week. <laughs> Probably going to be a, a constructive dismissal. I haven't seen anything extreme yet, but uh, uh, never say never. Uh, so there's there's no set threshold for these things. It's really going to depend on uh, what employment agreement have you signed, what was contemplated when you started that job, what has happened over the years that you've been in that job, and and compare when we compare that to what's going on, can we really say that this is a you know what we call a fundamental breach uh, of your employment? So it's not an analysis you should do on your own. You know, going back to that that week that was that we were talking about towards yeah. the top of the hour, this is something that you have to do with an employment lawyer, um, and it's a it's a very uh, difficult discussion. You know, you mentioned demotion in there as part of that. And what if it's uh, what if it's a demotion in the form of you're going from, say, a management duty to being part of the common surf, but they say, hey, we're not touching your pay, so we're going to keep you there. Is that still, uh, would that still be a constructive dismissal because based on status, I guess, as opposed to where you are in the workplace? 
Well, absolutely, John. Uh, status is something that the law has recognized for many, many years right. as part of the uh, employment agreement. And particularly if you're in one of those higher ranking roles, uh, any changes to your status uh, is going to be treated with sensitivity uh, by the court and very well could be a constructive dismissal. It's not necessary. It's absolutely not necessary that uh, that they change uh, your pay uh, to be a constructive dismissal. There are many other ways that uh, an employer can, can breach an employment agreement. Let's get to an email from Ben here in the last uh, couple minutes. Ben says, hey, John, how long is my employer allowed to put me on a layoff or suspension before it is a constructive dismissal? Very, very common question, uh, but it's actually not quite the right way to look at this right. uh, because the question is not how long can they do it. That may be relevant for Employment Standards Act purposes and, and other technical purposes, but the real question is were they allowed to do it in the first place? Because if they weren't allowed to do it in the first place, then the moment they do it, that is a termination. Then it's just a question of how long you're going to be out of work, and that's uh, going to impact uh, the amount of severance you're entitled to. So if you've been placed on a layoff, if you've been placed on a suspension, and this is uh, obviously very relevant for the vaccine mandate context, it's relevant for those who've been on layoffs since last March. Uh, if you're put in that situation and you haven't agreed to layoffs as a term of your employment, then generally speaking, that is going to be a constructive dismissal. That's the time to give us a call so we can pursue your severance. Claire's got an interesting one as we get down to the uh, the end of the show here. It says, uh, my employer said my compensation is going to be reduced a, a year from now. Can I get a severance package if I don't want to accept this? Well, Claire, you got to be cautious here. And this is uh, a, a situation where you definitely want to call us before uh, doing anything because it may very well be uh, that 12 months notice is sufficient to working notice to cover your severance. It may be that they have to pay you a, a lump sum payment at the end. It may be that you should have been provided with two years notice, which means that we can still get you a year of your pay at the end of that. Uh, but that is going to be something that, um, uh, that we have to have a discussion about. We have to figure out, is that adequate? And what do they have to pay you at the end of that, if anything? And that, that, that notice from the company can't just be a verbal. It's got to be a written notice, right? To make it that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right, John. It's got to be. It's got to be written with an end date. So there you go. That's a lot packed in there. We had some stuff left over. Well, we'll pick it up next time. There's always more to chat about, and you can do so right now if you want to pick up a phone and uh, reach out to John and his team at the firm. You could do so one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Use that email anytime you would like, and a website built to. Uh, Make you smarter when it comes to your employment law rights. PocketEmploymentLawyer.ca. We're done. We'll do it all again next time right here on Employment Law Show.